Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. So we as Americans, I mean, the 5th of July, we just had the big parties, we had the big barbecues, we just had the big bombastic fireworks. Like, I went to the fireworks store and literally, if you had $1,000, could buy fireworks, like I couldn't put my arms around, that would probably shoot mortars, like, to the International Space Station, because we're Americans, right? We love big, huge things. That's part of our DNA. We love luxurious things. And we love comfort. It's air-conditioned in here today. We finally have the air-conditioning kind of working. There's a fan blowing on me. Thank you, Jesus, for that. Like, like we like to be comfortable. We like big things. We love luxury. We love big cars. We love big trucks. We love big yards. We love big food. Now, you go to the restaurant, and they give you, like, what a reasonable portion is, my first response is, this is cheap. Like, I'm paying 15 bucks. I get like a little bitty thing. Like, I want like my steak and my plate to be this big and for like $4, right? Like, I want like tons of food. We want big everything. It's part of our American DNA. We just love luxury. We love big movie theaters. Now, I'm a movie geek for those who don't know me. I love movies. I love going to the movie theater. And one of the things with COVID that I just feel like I really lost was that ability. And I'm a solo movie guy, too. I, I, I'm totally cool going solo, solo date with me, and I'll leave a seat for Jesus, right? Like, so, but then I get, like, the bucket of popcorn that no one should ever eat, but it's gone from me in the previews. I haven't gotten to the previews yet. And then now they don't even have the chairs like old school. Like, now they've got these huge, luxurious leather chairs that you recline and sit back. And so now the tub is just resting on my stomach as I'm shoveling mounds of popcorn into my mouth. I'm like, this is America. <laughs> Love it. Let me talk about air conditioning for a second, because I skipped over that kind of quick. Because air conditioning is one of those things that like, it seems like a necessity, doesn't it? Like, like, in, like I can't survive unless there's air conditioning. Like right now, if it was, we didn't have air conditioning in our room right now, for those who are watching us online in Facebook land right now, like we're comfortable, it's nice, but we've got big like things blocking the sun. If we didn't, there would be like straight laser beams of sun coming on people. No air conditioning would cool us off fast enough because air conditioning in these hot, 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 hot summers become a necessity. It's like I can't survive. I can't sleep. I can't eat. I don't feel good. I actually get nauseous sometimes when things are too hot. But let me ask the question, is air conditioning really a necessity? Like, really? We're just conditioned for it. No pun intended, right? Like, we're conditioned to the fact that we are so used to this comfortable, easy lifestyle. We're always in this luxury. We're always reclining. We're always relaxed that we start to think, oh, my goodness gracious, like, this is what I need to survive. But the truth is, I didn't grow up with air conditioning as a kid. And some of you don't have air conditioning right now. Or some of you have air conditioning that's broken. 
Or some of you are like, look, I love the heat. Like, give me more heat. I don't need air conditioning. I thrive in it. I'm kind of in between. Sometimes I melt. Sometimes I love it. Right? Those in-betweeners. But you get what I'm saying about this. Is air conditioning really a necessity? As Americans, we are so obsessed with comfort, luxury. We're obsessed with big things. We've become obsessed with it. That when we don't have those things, we start to say, I'm losing a part of my life. Like, I don't feel like I actually like, can survive unless I have these things. I'm supposed to have all of these things. There's an article that came out in Consumer Reports that says, How American Consumers Shop. Now, those who live through and understand the older people here, the recession that happened in the 2000s, and I mean, obviously our stock market's up and down, but remember there's a recession that happened and people started losing their jobs and were cutting back. And one of the most interesting things they found during that time is what Americans won't give up. I don't care if I have no money. I don't care if I don't have a thing in the world. I'm not going to give this up. One of the top things they said they would never give up is their Starbucks and Dunkin' Donuts obsession and coffee. I will not give up my coffee. Now, I have done some crazy trips, like where I'm backpacking, backpacking in the uh, mountains of Colorado, and I've done crazy stuff. And it's kind of weird. Like, I'm like, oh my gosh, all I craved was a really good cup of coffee. I'm like conditioned to like a good cup of coffee. And we would make like campfire coffee, and I'm a coffee snob. If you make campfire coffee, and there's like grounds in it, they call it cowboy coffee, and you drink it, you're like, okay, it got me hyped up, but that's about it. It's not good, but like you crave that cup of coffee. Americans said, even if I lose my job, I won't give up my coffee. In the same article, they found this. The second other thing that they said, I hold so, deeply, so dearly to, even if I don't have money, even if I can't put food on the table, not giving up entertainment. I'm not going to give up my streaming. I'm not going to give up my satellite. I'm not going to give up my phones. I am not giving up entertainment. 38% of the people said that no matter what, they would not ditch their Netflix or their Hulu or their streaming services. Think about that. When it comes to being able to survive versus be entertained, 38% of Americans are saying, yeah, I'll figure out the survival, but you got to give me stranger things. Like, I'm not missing what's next on Netflix. Like, there's something inside of our DNA that's switched comfort and luxury into necessity. And that is a huge, huge problem. Because this consumeristic-driven way of thinking has entered into our churches. It's entered into the way that we now look at a congregation of people that come together at Sundays for a gathering, and they start to say, well, what do you have for me? I've been on staff member for almost 20 years, and I'm going to summarize 20 years in saying this. People say crazy stuff to us as staff members. Like, I mean, I, that's all I can say. Not everybody, you're all lovely here. None of you would say these things, of course, but but I, the things that were said to us as staff members about their consumeristic way of thinking was just jaw-dropping. It was like I was being interviewed. We'd sit down and say, hey, could you tell me a little more about your church? Now, there's great questions to learn about a church, right? Like, hey, what do you guys do? Tell me what your mission, vision, values are. What do you stand for? Very rarely was it about discipleship, about the gospel of Jesus Christ, or why we exist. Like, why do you exist as a church? Those weren't the questions. It was questions like, so, kind of snapping her gum, you know, like taking notes. 
tell me why we should come to your kid's ministry. And like, I'm like, uh, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> you know like, I don't know. Well, okay, like, well, how long do your services go? Does your pastor ever preach too long? I'm like, well, if it's me, yes. Um, you know, is, is the music too loud? Because I don't like it too loud, but I don't like it too soft. I like it right in the middle. I want it my sound. I'm like, okay. Um, let me ask you a question. Like, if you guys were, like, you know, going to, like, do something, like, for the community, like, do we get anything back for it? Weird, weird questions. And as I pondered through this, and we get, jump in this beautiful series called We the Church, I'm starting to realize something. Our consumerism has, and Americanism has now overtaken our understanding of who we are as the body of Christ. Who we are as believers, and we're for the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of the world. There's something that has changed and flipped. And so we're starting to say, I want the most comfortable awesome, serves me, I'm comfortable, I love it, church, I'm going to come in, give me everything that I need. Now, I'm going to get into my car and give nothing back. It's the American way. Something's happened with our consumerism that's blended into this beautiful thing that we call church that is not what Jesus came to establish. What's even harder is when I sit with a guest or someone's like, okay, do you have something for single, mid-30, Midwest Wisconsin, grew up on a farm, doesn't like people who are from the city, doesn't like people who does this? I want this. I want you to find 10 people just like me. I want you to put us into a small group and call us a Bible study. A Bible study. And then when we're in this, in this Bible study, nothing wrong with having 30-somethings, Midwest, farm town. There's nothing wrong with those similarities. But I want you to catch the mindset here. What they're saying is, I want to be surrounded by like-minded people who think like me, act like me, talk like me, look like me, everything about me. As opposed to, can you put me with people not like me, with different backgrounds, with different skin colors, from different ethnic and, and economic, put people around me who are not like me so I can learn and grow, and maybe I can learn and give back out into my community. What's happened to us? What's happened over 2,000 years that the church has gone from this body of a church into this consumeristic way of thinking. It's really been about 50 years that this has started to flood. As churches grew bigger, as churches grew, as the chairs got comfier, not here obviously, as, as things got more comfortable, as the coffee got better, as the music became louder, as the smoke rose, as the pastor rose from the bottom of the stage, and then the DJ comes out, you're ready for DJ, Pastor Jason. And everyone starts, mm -ts, mm -ts, mm -ts. and you get to watch this light show with laser beams. You're like, this is the best church ever, rock and roll. And you go home. What happened? When you read your Bible, do you see Jesus talking about this? What happened to our thinking? Now, I like lasers, and I like smoke. And if somehow we could have me raised from the bottom of the floor, that'd be pretty rad. But this concrete's not going to happen. But what happened to the church that says we are here as a group of people broken, forgiven, on mission of Jesus Christ to spread the gospel out into the world? It's not about my comfort. It's not about what I like. It's not about skin color. It's not about the type of money. It's about on mission for Jesus Christ, period. That's why we're here. That's why we exist, to make disciples and spread the gospel into our community and the world. That's why we gather together. Maybe the chairs are comfortable. 
Maybe we have air conditioning. Maybe the coffee's good. My wife made some killer, a oh, killer, cucumber-infused water. That's not a necessity. It's a luxury. What happened that we start to say, I now look at my body and my family and my walk with Jesus. It's about me. All about me. What happened when we turned away from the gospel and started turning into ourselves? Can the church be effective if we continually look at ourselves and we continually look at this idea that everything in church is about me? Can we be effective of our mission of going and changing the world for the love that Jesus gave us? Can the gospel be real in our lives if we are always focused on ourselves all the time? There was a beautiful catalog, I'm going to speak to all my 80s kids out there, that came out at Christmas time. The J.C. Penney Christmas catalog. Also the Sears catalog too, right? You had a one-two punch there. You had Sears and you had the J.C. Penney. And this catalog, I would get, the catalog would come. And it was like Christmas Day when the catalog came. For everybody, you want to remember those days? And I would sit down. I remember, I see myself, legs crossed behind me, on my tummy, glass of milk, circling everything I wanted. I'm like, oh, man, this is so great. And I would go through Star Wars. I just circled the entire, like, book, you know, Star Wars, yes. And I would go through, and I would like, oh, man. And then, you know, I'd earmark them just to make sure mom understood what I really wanted for Christmas, right? And I would go through all these things, and I had all these hopes of Christmas. And I did all this. I put all this energy, and I thought, man, it's so awesome that I get to be able to do this. All I was doing was taking. That establishment was there was for taking but where are Sears and J.C. Penney's now? They're gone. Now it's Amazon. You go online. They don't exist anymore. Now you go to Walmart. You don't even circle catalogs anymore. You just click and add it to your cart. Mom, buy me these things for Christmas. Consumerism has gotten faster. Consumerism has become instantaneous. Consumerism now is at our fingertips. Before, at least I had to like, take some time and wait. Those ways are gone. Now it's faster, immediate. Give me what I want right now. Or I'm irritated and frustrated. This is not a new issue. Believe it or not, 2,000 years ago, the problem was happening. And we're going to look at 1 Corinthians, where Paul was teaching to, his, to the church in Corinth. Specifically, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 26. So if you have your Bible apps, your Bibles, I'm going to give you some time to jump there and give you some background into this book and what Paul was teaching during that time. Again, 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 26 in your Bible apps or iPads or Bibles themselves. Paul's the author of the book. It's about 55 AD. So 55 AD, Paul starts writing this book. And Paul had planted the church. He's a, one of the original church planners, Stand Strong. And so Paul here is a church planner. He's there about 18 months, and then he leaves. So 18 months, this guy's there, and he moves on. And Corinth is this huge, rich, powerful city. It's right there in south-central Greece. And Corinth, as you can see on the map, has this unbelievable placement of being able on both sides of this body, bodies of water, both on the, on the Gulf and then on the other side of the Mediterranean Sea. You see this beautiful place of trade and commerce. And so they had lots of money. But Corinth had a reputation they were known for being a city of debauchery. They were known for tons of sexual sin. 
They were known for all of these gods and temple prostitutes. They had this reputation of being a sleazy, rich town. And this city was known for being all about themselves. And so here you have Corinth, which is in the middle of all this sexual immorality, all this selfishness, all the terrible things that are happening in there, all the improper use of all these resources that they have was all about themselves. Paul now plants a church there. I, I mean, I, we plant in Washington County, okay? We have our issues, but it's not Corinth, all right? This is in the middle of a lot of problems. And so he plants this church there, and he leaves. Now, he writes a letter back to the church and says, all right, church, we have to have a conversation here. You guys are messing up. You're missing some things. And there's some confusion. There's some confusion about what's going on. Because the sexual immorality and the selfishness and what was happening was their culture was infusing the church. And just like we talked about before with the American church, the church is now getting infused with this selfish, sexually immoral way of living. Their culture was infusing. And Paul pulls on and says, look, you're not like the rest of the culture. Yes, we're in the culture, but there's something special about us. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 26, it says this. Just as a body, the one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we are all baptized into one spirit as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. We were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, each one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I do not need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the, whole, put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there would be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. So if you've heard this passage before, if you've been in a church circle, you've heard this about the gifts. You may have heard like this idea of like, hey, you've got a gift that God's given you. You need to use it as a whole, the body, which is a, true. That's, that is true. But again, looking inside the cultural context of what he's sharing this is, he says this, you are not all the same. Everybody is different. You are different but you're all part of one body. Your purpose in the body is to serve the body. Let me say that again because this kicks us right in the teeth of consumerism. The purpose of the body is to serve the body. We need each other, but we're part of a larger thing. So the purpose of the body coming together isn't to take, but it's actually to serve. Imagine if somebody walks into church and says this. Okay, Jason, I have this crazy gift. 
I have the ability to hear things. I can hear things. So what I'm going to do, can I come to Mosaic and I can hear things? Can I please come and can I sit in the back row and can I listen to every one of your sermons? Like, I just want to listen to everyone. I'll stream your podcast every week. We'll watch. I'm going to listen. I'm going to listen. I'm going to listen. And I'm just going to keep listening. And then when the service is done, I'm going to go home. And I'm not going to do anything about it. I'm not going to tell you what I heard. I'm not going to tell anybody what I heard because I can't talk. I can just listen. So thank you so much for talking to me. I heard you. But then somebody walks in and says, hey, I have this unbelievably gift. I can see things. Like, I can't hear you, but you're really animated. I think you're fun to watch when you talk. And so I can see you up there, and I can lip read. So I'm going to watch you, and I'm going to watch everybody here. But when this service is done, I'm not going to tell anybody about it because I can't speak. And I didn't really hear what you said, but I'm going to watch. And I'm going to go home and do nothing with it. Doesn't make sense. But our current American church is that's exactly what we're doing. We're walking into churches. We're saying, I want you to fill the needs that I have. I'm a seer. I'm a hearer. I'm a listener. I'm a talker. Fill me. Give me what I want. Make me feel good. And now I'm going to go home and say, I feel good about myself. Thank you for that great time. I feel comfortable. I feel safe. What if the fact that we are a body brought together as this beautiful thing called church that each one of us uniquely made are brought into this building this day at this time? And for all of our friends who are still online, you are still here. You are all still part of us. What if we all came together and we said, I can see, I can hear, I can walk. I'm an armpit. I stink. Okay, that's cool. I don't want to do with you yet, but we'll figure it out. We put all of our parts together and we say, why are we here? Why are we put together to listen to a guy talk on Sunday and sing some awesome songs? Or are we here for the mission of God, which is to transform our community and the world? Are we put together so that people who are lost hear the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are we here put together for the fact that there are people right now in our community dying wanting love? We can love them. Is it the fact that right now internationally that we have partners and people out there slaving, working so hard for the gospel of Jesus Christ and they need help? Is it the fact that we're supposed to be the body that says we have the parts to send and help internationally? Is it that we come together like a super awesome 1985 transformer that when we come together, we put all our parts together and we now become an unbeatable movement of God that transforms the community in the world? Or should we just come and watch the laser show and be comfortable? Or should we come and say, this faith is mine, so I'm going to tuck it away? Because Paul is saying something big here. Guys, you are all gifted and talented and given things and spiritual gifts and the way God made you and the way you see things. There's a reason why I brought you together. This family has a mission from me, whether you're this family or the family down the street. The churches of Jesus Christ are families brought together, all together for the same mission. We are here to transform the world. Imagine if the churches stopped fighting over people sitting in their pews, fighting over budgets, fighting over money, and started fighting for lost people. Imagine if churches united as one voice, stopped competing with each other, and said, what do we trans do to transform Washington County? Imagine what would happen for the gospel if people... Uh, no, I'm going to push some buttons here, y'all. Ready for this one? What if churches shared their money? 
their resources. What if churches came together? Though we're unique. We're our family, right? Mosaic's its own family. We kind of do our thing. We're different. That's okay. Our family is weird like every other family is weird, right? Our weird is cool because it's us, right? Families can be families. But what if we thought tribal and we work together as tribes to advance the kingdom of God? I think that's what Jesus came to do. We can be unique. We can be different. But can we do it together for the kingdom? This verse that Paul reads us says, friends, you're unique, you're different, but you're here for a purpose. Our purpose isn't to sit. Our purpose is the mission of God. Thinking back to our American culture, what's sweeping through in our comfort, I don't know if you've heard of the term of the Dead Sea before. If you're in the Bible worlds or if you've been in church for a while, you've heard of the term Dead Sea. If you don't know where the Dead Sea is, it's a lake that lies in the Jordan Rift Valley, and the Jordan River runs into it. It's 1,412 feet below sea level. And so what happens is it's the lowest elevation, and so these waters run into this. But the salinity of this, there's so much salt in it, you can't actually be in it. You can float in it. And what's really cool about the Dead Sea is like you go into it and you go, and like you float, like you just sit there because there's so much salt in there. It's over nine times more salty than the actual oceans. Like, how does this happen? Like, did God just take like a salt shaker, like too much salt? Like, how does this happen? Uh, D.L. Moody talked about this. He says this, what makes the Dead Sea dead? Because it is all the time receiving, never giving out anything. Why is it that many Christians are cold? Because they are all the time receiving, never giving out anything. Have you thought about that? Have you thought about the fact that maybe we've become so comfortable that we've come to sit like we're at a Marcus Theater, to pull back in our recliners, to have our big tub of popcorn, God, entertain me, I'm done, cool, great movie, I'm going to go talk about it, tweet about it, and then I'm done. Or have we thought about the fact that God is putting in, that we are in this together so that we as a body are pouring out into our world, that the love we receive, the forgiveness we receive, the gospel of Jesus Christ so compels us that we have no motion except, I got to give this back out. Like, this is too good. This is too good. Or are we going to sit there and just keep taking, keep taking, keep taking over and over again? I had a my own crisis of faith of sorts several years ago where I came in conflict with this because I, I was that guy a lot of ways, like just, you know, and I served. And I want to I hear there, I served, I did stuff in the church, but I wasn't giving to the body. I was kind of going through the motions, right? And I realized something. Christianity is extremely boring when you're a consumer. There's a guy talking for way too long, there's songs that we're singing to, I don't really necessarily know the songs, in a genre I may not particularly like. If they're love songs, if I'm dude, I'm like, oh, love songs. Like, like, like it's boring. Like, why do I come to this? I'm like, oh, because I have friends. So I come for my friends. I come for community, which is part of church. But I started to have this, this battle inside of me. I'm like, Jesus, when I read your Bible, I see something so much more adventurous and exciting than the Christianity I'm living out. I see a life of adventure. I see a life sitting on the edge. I see a life of taking risk. I see a life of trusting you. I see a life where I'm pouring into the body and the body pours out. I see something totally different than what I was doing. So I did it. I entered ministry. 
I went into ministry. It wasn't my idea. God called me to it. And at that moment, I started to realize something huge. There's a big difference from the way I thought sitting in the pews watching from standing on a stage talking. My whole perspective changed. I thought, man, I wish I would have learned this sooner. I wish I would have learned how awesome it is to give instead of receive. I wish I would have thought more like an adult than like a child, where at Christmas time you're like, get presents, presents, presents for me. Now I'm old. I'm like, please don't get me anything. I just have to return it. You know, like, like I, I just want to give. Like, what can I do to give? I want to give presents. I want to be generous. I love it. I wish I would have saw that in my faith sooner. I didn't. Some of us haven't seen it yet. And this is the message I want you to hear through me through and through and through. I don't want us to be a Dead Sea church. I want us to be a thriving ocean. I want us to give and receive. I want us to bring life into the world. I want us as a church to change the community with the love and mission of Jesus Christ. It's so unbelievably simple, but it takes all of us. Because even if you think you're the smallest part in this, you're not. I, uh, some of you know and heard the story, if you haven't before, um, I'm a wannabe runner. I'll never forget this time I was running, and I was running in one of my marathons. And it was so dumb. I was just so dumb. I was running, and, and there was like a puddle. It rained in the morning on the ground. And I'd been training for this for years. Puddle on the ground. And I'm just running along, and I'm doing my thing, keeping my pace, feeling good, as much as you can while running. I know it's a fallacy to really feel good. That's a story for another day. So there's a puddle on the ground. And all I did is with one quick movement, I decided I'm going to juke this puddle. A juke, you know, a little side move to kind of, you know, because I'm the cool guy or whatever. You know? so I'm, and I just did a sidestep to the left, and I had a pain like I've never felt before in my life. It felt like somebody stabbed me in the back of my hip. Now, I'm not being dramatic. Stabbed. It crumpled me, and I was, like, limping. I was at mile 13 of 26 miles. The pain I felt at that moment stopped me dead in my tracks. I pulled off to the side. Are you okay? I'm like, I don't know. I thought I ripped something off the bone. It was one of the worst pains ever. But I'm like, okay, you got to finish, got to finish. I kind of shook it out. I'm like, okay. And I limped for 13 more miles. Because I had to get my medal, man. I don't know. It's free medal, right? Well, not free. I paid for it. So, so I, I, I had to finish. And so just out of resilience, I finished this thing. I was injured for a year and a half because of that one move. One and a half years of rehabilitation for a small little muscle on the back of my hip that connects into my pelvis that's insignificant and didn't matter for actually running. But that small, insignificant little muscle on the back of my hip shut me down for a year and a half, proving the point that when I was running, my entire body was working together as a system. My lungs, my heart, my thighs, my calves, my feet, my head, my shoulders, my arms, everything. And even these muscles I didn't see, I never trained. That little muscle was doing a lot. And I found out real quickly, don't mess with me, boy. And I did. And so in that one movement, everything was changed. I didn't run again, really, for a year and a half after training for marathons. And this is the idea. Friends, 
Do you think you're insignificant and you're just a small muscle on the back of the hip? I don't have a lot of gifts. I don't have a talents. I can't talk in front of people. I can't do this. I can't do that. Do you understand that there are many parts that are here that when we work together, we run marathons? If we don't have you, if you are injured, if you're not in the game, we are not better. We are worse. In fact, it can cripple us. It can slow down our mission. It can stop the mission God has us on if we're not working together. Like when we work together, as Paul is describing us, all of us brought together, we're unstoppable. When we're separate, when we're out of the game, we're weak. In a leadership uh, journal, Amy Simpson writes this, talking about selfishness and serving. Because sometimes our serving and our work together is all about us even. How dark is that? Even us working together can become about us. She says this, sometimes serving others is really about serving ourselves. And that's when codependency enters the picture. People who are codependent serve to meet their own emotional needs and desires. They serve whether others really want to be served or not. They serve in ways that keep people around them from growing, changing, and thriving. They serve and serve and serve long past the point of health and true effectiveness because they're addicted to what serving gives them, a sense of value, preservation, or, uh, preservation of the status quo, and dependency on others. Do you understand that even serving can turn dark when you're doing it for the fact of comfort for yourself? Even saying, hey, God, I did all these good things. I did it for me. Like, I'm so glad. Give me all the accolades. This is wonderful. Even when you serve, it can be for the wrong thing. Friends, the body comes to serve together the body. We are brought together to serve together, work together for the sake of the kingdom of God, not for ourselves. Never for ourselves. Is there results that come from serving? Absolutely. Am I encouraged? Do I love being with you? Yes. That's the fruit of being part of the body. But friends, when we do not do it right, we actually corrupt the body. We kill the body. We hurt the body. I've been in church meetings where I've had to break up fist fights. Fist fights in a leadership meeting of a church. I sat there with, I was a young man with just an astonishment as a man stood up and started screaming and yelling because he wasn't getting what he wanted. And, I mean, just all this stuff. And this other guy's like, oh, well, we're going to stick to our guns. And I watch this happening. I'm like, I quit. Quit. I don't be part of this. Is that the body that their fist fight would break up at a church meeting? Is there a body that a church would split over the color of carpeting that y'all choose? Does it a church body that people get mad when you don't play the songs they like? or the sermon's too long, or this or that. Is that the body or is that consumerism? Friends, we are better together. I want to read this again. I want to read this passage again for you. I want you to hear it from a different light. You, each one of you, there is no age. There is no age. There is no color. There is no background. There is no story. When we are brought together as the body of Christ, you have a role in it. You are called to be on mission with it. I want you to hear what Paul is saying to this church in Corinth who is in the middle of all these cultural issues. 
he says something so beautiful to them. He says, guys, just you are unique, but you have to stay together for the mission. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 26. Just as a body, the one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. We were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, each one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, these parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special attention. But God has put the body together, giving great honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Friends, we are not here. We are not created to consume. We were created to give. We were created for unity. We are better together. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering for service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world, visit us at mosaicwi.com.